You're listening to a podcast from The National. China's Belt and Road Initiative. Launched in 2013 by its leader, Xi Jinping, it conjured romantic notions of a new Silk Road for trade in the 21st century. And the good news was that everyone was welcome. This is the National's Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Belt and Road. One belt, one road. A maritime silk road. The initiative has had many names. Yet since it began, China's investments and trade and economic influence across Asia and the Middle East has grown significantly. Is that the end game then? to simply intertwine us all in a mutually beneficial web of trade, as we supposedly had thousands of years ago? What does China really want? What's the overall impact? I have managed to get some answers for you, you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, This week at the Bahrain Bay Forum in Manama, organized by the delightful people at the International Institute for Strategic Studies, I was privileged to have the chance uh, to listen to a panel on the discussion and speak to several experts. I mean, overall, when China pushes forward with such a big initiative, the impact could be a reduction in transportation costs. A reduction in transportation costs will promote trade. So if we think about it in that bigger scenario, that seems to be a positive thing for everybody because most countries are looking to benefit from increased trade, trade links, and the benefits of that trade, both economically, socially, and ultimately politically. But what do the Chinese want out of it? And why even embark on such an initiative? Professor Lan Jinjiang runs the Center for One Belt and One Road Studies at the China National Institute for SCO International Exchange and Judicial Studies. A fascinating man, I caught up with him in Manama, and he explained to me the ins and outs of the initiative, including how engagement with the Gulf and wider Middle East is developing. What exactly is uh, One Belt, One Road? Uh, this is initiative uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping uh, personally proposed in uh, 2013. Um, the, the concept is to recreate a kind of global network of international trade, finance, and of course with a specific emphasis on uh, infrastructure uh, projects. Um, that is mainly covering the area of Euro-Asian landmass. This is actually called uh, belt, it's called economic belt. The road is actually referring to water, <laughs> that's the maritime. Not to confuse us. Not to confuse, road, yes. Is actually, uh, actually it's a maritime silk road, that's the official name of the road. <laughs> so there's two aspects to it. There's yeah. the, the, the belt is the trade, sort of connection yeah connection by building infrastructure yes. on land you see the maritime is based on the idea of not only increasing trade but also help if there is a possibility investing in port facilities um, you know making connections uh, on the maritime road yes so the direction again so it's, is it's right. not so much a road <coughs> like an artery building a sort of global maritime trade artery? Is it? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Yes, that's the idea. The Chinese historically have done so before. Really? So this is the old idea of the Silk Road. Uh, we, we also have two sites, land-based and the maritime-based. So it's kind of 
revival of the old idea of a global market network. And, yeah. and how much does sort of new technology come into play to, to help with this? Well, it's very important. Um, when you think about the maritime, uh, thinking about land-based infrastructure building, the last uh, uh, 20 years or so, China has developed rapidly the technology for high-speed train, for example. China now leads in that field. Uh, well, 20 years ago, we don't even have a single one there. So now this is the idea, you know, China's uh, in command in, in that sense with the efficiency, technology, so they want to export those to to outside world. Yeah. And uh, yeah. in terms of the Middle East and the Gulf region, mm. Uh, historically, the Middle East was part of the Silk Road. It was right. part of that right. landmass route. And even right. by right. sea, there was a lot of trading, particularly exactly. the Gulf of Oman. Yeah. And now you've seen deals yeah. in Abu Dhabi, in Oman. You have the Dukum Special Economic Zone. You have Abu Dhabi with their ports. Right. Um, and so how important is this region now, the Gulf region, to the, to the one, one belt and one road part? I think, uh, well, first of all, you are exactly right to say historically this is one of the most important transit point for China's traditional Silk Road. Here I'm particularly talking about not Gulf as such, at that time is Persia and uh, uh, today's Afghanistan. This is really right on the Silk Road. Now, yes, today I think the Middle East has been a very important part of the the Chinese project uh, for very simple reason, not only because you know the traditional needs of uh, energy resources which China want to build uh, a basis you know to, to get that, but also I think what's important here is that um, Chinese actually considered Middle East a very unique place, different from other region which covered by one by one. Remember altogether. The project covers about 66 countries, you know. So Middle East is unique for its location, for its energy resources, but also Chinese has a specific project. At least they proposed it to the Middle Eastern leaders. Not yet pushing forward, you know, by Middle Eastern leaders yet. That is so-called one, two, three. You know, this is what Chinese propose. One means energy. Uh, the 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 energy is the the core of the whole thing. Um, then build two, what they call two wings to support that core. Infrastructure, if there is a need in the Middle East, highways, railways, port facility. And the other would be uh, uh, what they call uh, 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 what two wings, uh, infra uh, trade and uh, facilitating trade and, uh, and the finance. Okay. Then the, 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 the three new areas which Chinese wish they can develop also cooperate with the Middle East, that is renewable energy and uh, uh, space technology, you know, like a satellite technology. The Gulf, UAE, Saudi Arabia, other right, countries right. want to be at the forefront of renewables. Right, they right. want to still have a place exactly. in the energy equation right. after oil. Right, right. And then the space one is one particularly for the UAE. Right. That wants right. To, to be part of the space program. And why would the Chinese... Oh, the third is a nuclear energy. Nuclear, nuclear course, yes, energy, which yes. the UAE and potentially other countries yes. would be involved. Yes, right? yes, yes. So, yeah. um, but why would, I guess, 
uh-huh. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Why, sure. why would the, the Gulf countries and the Chinese want each other for this? Why don't they go elsewhere? I mean, there might be better, better partners, right? Well, Chinese believe they are quite competitive. That's the first thing. Second thing is China has no enemy in this region. Um, historically, we don't get involved in, in the conflict. Uh, we probably historically we don't even understand it. Sunni, Shiites, even Jewish versus Islam. Uh, so Chinese seem to be, uh, uh, you know, possessing the possibility, uh, the capacity of making every country its friend. So we don't have a geopolitical uh, uh, conflict with yeah. anyone in the region. Now, so Chinese thought we have advantage in that uh, area. And no, th- no historical baggage. No, not at all, not at all. Uh, we, we, uh, and also, I think, with this great power politics gradually withdrawing from this region, China also feels there is a vacuum here. Not, not to say Chinese want to replace the great power role, but the Chinese believe the Middle Eastern people, they will be able to begin to deal with their own problems, uh, which from Chinese point of view is better than the old formula of uh, you know United States, Soviet Union, you know all these great power get involved, making things even more complicated. Are we, are so we, I just want to make sure that we're not sort of underplaying the, the whole yeah. energy aspect of it. Because oh, sure. I no, mean, we, we're we're down in the Bahrain Bay Forum, and we just we right. we heard a panel earlier right. today right. that was talking about how. By 2040, right. China's energy demand and Asia's energy demand is going to be, you know, beyond what even the Middle East can supply. That's so right. How important That's is right. it to get these deals in place, these relationships in place now, to, for that energy security yeah. going forward? I mean, yes. it works the it other is. way as well when you're selling sure. to China. But sure, sure. China needs. To I be think. Sure. I think energy. Of course, China want to secure the supply. Middle East, despite all the other sources we have now, still is the number one sources. Uh, but Chinese believe we are now also in the position to um, enjoying uh, more uh, uh, advantage than before. Now remember Chinese energy policy historically up until the beginning of the new century we are playing the market so to speak meaning APEC and so you know you we don't have any say in pricing Now, China, since then, we adopt a new strategy called going out. We're going to Latin America, Africa, also Middle East. We meaning going out strategy, meaning we're actually purchasing oil fields and do. So China have more flexibility now. Uh, I'm not a downplay, you know, uh, I'm the energy issue at all. Still, it's the key, as I said, you know, Chinese one, two, three formula. The core still is energy supply, gas too, not just uh, uh, oil. Uh, so, but that importance seems to be declining from a Chinese point of view. And yeah, to come back to the, the whole right. Belt One Road, it's it's, right. it's the current project of uh, Xi Jinping. And yep. it, how much is it dependent on one man? Or is this something that's been taken up by China? Is it will be gen- more than one generation focusing? On well, the the whole project is planned for thirty years, so <laughs> certainly will move beyond Xi Jinping. Uh, but of course, with uh, President Xi's uh, personal involvement, is he's one of the priority project. He leads this small group 
uh, in charge of one belt one. You know, he actually leads that. So we can say, uh, yes, there are enormous supports from the government side, but also they are able to, for now, you know, the uh, private, uh, you know, sector as well. They, this is a government policy, not just depending on government seed money. They want to mobilize private, you know, investment as well for those projects. And there's been a this lot of is talk, the idea. Uh, more broadly about right. China's role in the world. And right. right now we've right. got the UN General Assembly about to kick right. off in New York. And right. before we, we we've had this talk of a vacuum and that China could fill it in its own way. Right. As you said earlier, you're not necessarily replicating right. what other powers are. Right. Right. But, and so this one belt one road is it seems to be a novel way, a, a different exactly. way of, yes. of kind of engaging in, in global yes. you know, uh, political. Uh, relationships yes and, and that could change things for everyone well that is uh, exactly the uh, the theme um, I'm, I'm for me to come here they, they invite me here to discuss Chinese view of what is international order now as you know usually it's defined by the Western terminology order is defined as being the hard power balance basically when it's out of balance, it's disorder. <laughs> the Chinese never buy that argument to begin with. We don't have this mechanical view about what's, what is international order or disorder. The Chinese don't contrast order with disorder. We, we have a different term. We, con we contrast order, uh, disorder with something called natural harmony. <laughs> now, it's a different view. It's not rely purely on hard power, uh, military balance, uh, how many weapons you have, how many, you know. So, yes, you, you're absolutely right to say the Belt and Road Project does offer an alternative view for global governance, for, the global, for changing, perhaps not going to be successful, uh, but um, a changing perspective about how do you uh, uh, maintain global order. And you've been, right. you've been coming to this region for yeah. a while. How have you seen the difference now mm -hmm. in terms of, of how China is approached from 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 the, the Middle Eastern people? Yeah, how do they uh, see it? Well, uh, I must say, in the past uh, twenty years or so, there is enormous growth of interest in China on Middle East, including Arab language study, but here. Culturally speaking, I must say there is a lack of you know, <laughs> fundamentals. Um, they like Chinese investment. They don't have any problem with Chinese, but um, lacking understanding. But they are very friendly. I have in the, no Gulf, in the Gulf region. Gulf region too. Yes, yes. They, they they like Chinese ideas, but they don't really understand it. Uh, and is this because of in, in recent modern times there's been less engagement compared to with other countries? I guess there is a two different perspective. I think the Chinese leaders understand this. Because for you, aside from oil, the other issue is the regional security. Now, Chinese, since Chinese are never really involving in regional security here. So, so the, the Gulf countries, when you, for example, Chinese invite the heads of states to the summit of Belt Road this May, very few middle Gulf country heads of states come. It's not to say they're not interested, but they, are, they will be more obsessed if there is a security-related issues. Right. 
uh, they're less interested in those what they think not nice idea of sounds like abstract you know <laughs> long term thing so the priority is different so is it, but is I there don't an see. education aspect to the whole one belt one road where it's not just a matter of saying but we want right. to invest but the, the initial deals are educating the whole economies to the benefits in China you mean yeah. Yeah, yes now remember the, the belt and road projects motivate primarily by domestic reasons not for global reasons yes. Because remember, we used to have a project try to develop western part of China. It's called the Great Western Development Strategy. Uh, you know, the reform in the last 30 years create a huge imbalance between coastal area, which takes you know 60% GDP now, then central western part of China, still very poor backward. So they they try to use government uh, funding to develop a west vast area in the west China. It did not work. So this is the extension of the idea, of course, moving beyond Chinese borders. Yeah. Try to, uh, using this project, you see the primary direction for now is Central Asia, precisely <laughs> because we want to develop Central and the so Western is, China. There's a lesson here that for yeah. any country that's looking to make reforms and changes, it cannot be in isolation. So you have, you exactly. have to have some kind of external strategy with your neighbors and beyond. Right, right, right. No, this is very important. Because so far, our project in, in place, those projects already there, are the, in the countries where China has no problem. We no geopolitical conflict. Um, they may have their own problem, you know, Pakistan being example, Central Asia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajik, Russia, including Russia now. So uh, when the, the system there is a stable, relationship with those countries stable, then we don't have a problem. Now, we love to go to Turkey as well. Mm. We had a huge idea for Turkey. Then, remember last uh, coup d'etat and so on. So a lot of projects are now in some difficulty because there's stability there. So in that sense, yes, you're right. Um, we definitely looking at the security to begin with <laughs> to see if this project can work. It, you know, if it's instable countries, you cannot work. Gulf area, on the other hand, having those problems as well. Uh, or the Middle East in general is not known to be a very stable. So we have a lot of investment in Iran, for example, mm -hmm. rather than in <laughs> the other countries. So for, for that reason, now, stability is the key from a Chinese point of view. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor-in-Chief, and this is the Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. More Business Extra in just a moment, but first, allow me to tell you about the National's other podcasts. Beyond the Headlines takes a deeper dive into the biggest news from the week with a distinct Middle Eastern point of view. An extra time from our esteemed sports desk is the best place to chat about the English Premier League and more. Subscribe to both shows, as well as this one on iTunes, or find us as always at thenational.ae. You're listening to the National's Business Extra podcast. Weekly, we provide insight and additional analysis on the biggest business, economic and finance stories affecting us here as well as the wider region and the world. Today, we're examining the impact in the Middle East of China's Belt and Road Initiative for trade. Earlier, I mentioned I was at the IISS Bahrain Bay Forum this week. There was an engaging panel on the subject of where the Belt and Road Initiative stands, particularly via via this region. Last year, China was the biggest investor in the Middle East, ahead even of the United States and Britain. Now, this was mainly in the energy and utility sectors, and rather than FDI, the majority of this investment was project finance. 
That was according to Natixis chief economist Alicia Garcia Herrero. Now, there is more FDI from China in terms of the One Belt, One Road or Belt and Road initiative in other parts of the world compared to Project Finance, while in the Middle East, the majority is that lending. And the sectors in this region, energy, utilities are the majority. In other parts of the world, transport is very, very important. Not quite as much here, apparently. Um, so this is a different breakdown. Now, what does this mean that it's more project finance, for example? Well, it doesn't mean the project finance, while it's good to have this sort of financing available for projects here, especially the big ones, big construction projects, etc., that the Chinese state-backed companies get in on. It doesn't exactly help trade deficits. It doesn't help with the wider economic implications of a lower oil price, at least according to Ms. Garcia Herrero. The focus is, is that there is a lot of money from China here, and that has an impact. And certainly what that means is that, you know, overall, the Chinese have become the most significant single investment source for us and will probably continue to be some time. Now, how has this push since the Belt Road initiative was was launched? How has it become so successful in such a short space of time, um, less than five years? Uh, one reason is that institutions like the Asian Inf- Infrastructure Investment Bank, which was also launched by China in 2013, are beginning to really pick up momentum in terms of financing, at least at the the Bahrain Bay Forum, that was according to the Vice President of Policy and Strategy at the AIIB, Joachim von Amsberg. Now, they've invested across the region in a number of projects, and he talks about essentially a new multilateral approach. And what that means is that they look at Asia as very, very broad. It's not just about the immediate vicinity, as Professor Zhang was saying earlier. It may have started out as a sort of domestic concern, but it's definitely gone global now. And they definitely focus on this idea that there are benefits, mutual benefits for everybody. Uh, at least that's what you know they hope there will be in terms of trade. And, and like I said earlier, if we can bring those transport costs down, that'll ultimately spur trade everywhere. One of the examples uh, mentioned at the panel was the Dukham uh, Special Economic Zone in Oman, China and, and uh, India as well are, are some of the biggest investors there. There's a seaport, industrial areas. I'm going to talk about billions of dollars of investment there to kind of create a brand new trade hub. So it'll be interesting to watch what happens. Closer to home in the UAE, there's been several deals uh, from Chinese side uh, in terms of energy, in terms of transport, in terms of construction. I mean, China's very important in terms of the end market for the UAE's hydrocarbons. And vice versa, the Middle East and suppliers like the UAE and Saudi Arabia, etc., are very important for China's energy security. So all of this has to come into play as well. But more broadly, the success has to do with China's approach. I mean, they're not the only country pushing for investment. You have the United States, you have France, you have Britain, you have loads of other countries um, that are, are looking at this region. So what is it specifically about what the Chinese are doing? What is it specifically within the One Belt, One Road initiative uh, that helps? Apparently, part of it, part of the story, is that the Chinese have much less political baggage in this region compared to some of the other powers, which is a strength. Now, on the sidelines of the forum in Manama, I caught up with Omar al-Ubaidli, a regular columnist for The National and also the Director for International and Geopolitical Studies at the Bahrain Center for Strategic and International Studies. He explained how the Chinese approach has found success in this region. Most people are not aware of the extent of Chinese uh, engagement in the, in the economic sphere. Um, 
both at the institution level and at the individual level, there's a fixation on uh, on political aspects of the international relationship between the Gulf countries and, and, and other countries, um, because it's a historically the uh, Western uh, in, influence in the region has been predicated upon political interference or political engagement, I should say. Um, and even today, political uh, news and uh, security news dominates the headlines, whether you're talking about Syria, Palestine, Yemen, Egypt. These are the overriding currents. Um, China has taken a very different tact uh, because, uh, because basically sometime in the 60s and 70s, they wanted to make sure that they did not repeat the mistakes that the Soviet Union made, uh, and which were prioritization of military and political um, tools over economic ones. And so they went all the way to the other end, uh, and they focused on economic engagement. And also, historically, China is not a country that has looked to uh, um, colonize or, uh, or, or extend its political influence beyond its immediate vicinity, uh, and was also very hurt uh, uh, by such efforts, you know, the English, the French, when they entered China in the 19th century, had a, what the Chinese perceived to be a very negative influence uh, on their country. So they've taken a very different approach, which diff, which uh, which surprises and is therefore under the radar for for most normal citizens and organisations in the Gulf region. Uh, and you don't hear about them, and they're and they're quite happy with that. Um, but if you actually scratch between the surface, you'll find that the uh, Chinese economic tentacles are fully uh, embedded in, in in the Middle East. So th there's been a lot of deals, uh, not just in the Middle East, from Chinese investors in Africa. Um, but if I, if I look specifically in the Gulf region as well, um, where they've done deals in Abu Dhabi, in the oil sector, in the maritime sector, um, in Oman, uh, with the Dukham Special Economic Zone, there's a, quite a bit of ch uh, Chinese interest there, and elsewhere. But what are the Chinese bringing really here? I mean, is it just a case of um, you know the the easiest money to get hold of, or is as you were pointing out because they have a different approach to things because they lead economically that they're they're sort of a, a quite a good partner to get in bed with. Well, I mean, so one of the early branches of this uh, of this economic engagement was the oil sector, and if you look at all of the Gulf countries, their uh, um, oil companies have. Uh, um, joint ventures and uh, with Chinese companies, with Southeast Asian companies more generally, but very often with Chinese companies, especially Saudi Arabia. Uh, and um, and this reflects uh, um, the, Ch the Chinese want to have their relationship with other countries to be based on mutual benefit, which really starts with economics, trade, uh, mutual investment. Um, good things come out of that, not just in terms of the exchange of goods, but also the exchange of ideas, the exchange of technology, and so on and so forth. And that's used uh, as a way of, uh, of, of ensuring that all sides always sit in their interest to keep on good relations and to keep things welcome and pleasant rather than taking an antagonistic tone uh, if, things, uh, if things change abruptly. Uh, so, uh, so that's really what, what, what the Chinese are, are trying to do. Uh, and, and now with all these investments that you mentioned and other ones, um, the goal is, you know, the, the, the 19th, 18th century uh, uh, economists and philosophers met, talked very much about how trade is a way of smoothing relationships because trade brings mutual benefit. And that's really the, the Chinese model in very succinct form. These investments are 
keep everyone thinking, looking towards China as a positive influence, as an influence that brings jobs, as brings uh, technology, that brings economic opportunities, a home and abroad. So why make problems with these people, security with the way that uh, China has? Uh, China's not been associated with any uh, coups or any uh, uh, um, backing of any particular uh, governments or any particular groups at the expense of other groups or any independence movements. In the political arena, you literally hear nothing about China. They're apolitical. They're apolitical. All they do is just veto any. Uh, actually, all they do is veto any attempt to politicize anything in the in the, in these veins, um, whether it's Syria, Yemen, whatever. Uh, and so, uh, whereas the USA, Britain, France, or their legacy is is there for all to see. So part of it, I agree, is just a is a sort of cold-hearted effort at diversifying energy interests. But you have to take note that the way they want to diversify their energy interests is not by moving in their uh, uh, special forces or their uh, uh, you know air bases and, and 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 no, they want to make it so that the fo- the point of focus is on. How does this relationship developing serve both sides in a way that will be very difficult to reverse? And it's not, it's in, it's in no one's interest to reverse. And no one feels wronged. No one feels like their rights are being uh, violated or their culture is being suppressed or their uh, uh, interests are being, uh, uh, you know, being bullied out of uh, being, protecting their own interests. It's a very sort of uh, uh, constructive way of engaging people. I mean, China's Belt and Road policy is focused on sort of building these trade links, a new Silk mm-hmm. Road. Um, there's also one aspect to it is about building maritime trade links. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the transport infrastructure in the Gulf is very good, mm-hmm. both in terms of maritime, air and land. Um, but, but are we seeing that the, the Gulf sort of positioning itself, whether by accident or design, as being a really key artery in this new Silk Road, this One Belt, One Road initiative? Absolutely. I mean, people when, when people talk about the importance of the Gulf historically and today, uh, they focus on oil. Um, uh, but really, um, the more important than the oil is the geographical location. And that's something where even as oil potentially diminishes in importance in the global economy over the next 50 years, that's something that's not going to diminish. And you can see the appetite um, that foreign powers have uh, and still have and is growing for in having links with the Gulf countries and, and with this area, uh, um, whether it's uh, political, military, economic and so on and so forth. So, uh, so yeah, China um, has correctly identified this, uh, the, the Gulf as being a geographical pivot. Um, uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, the two most important, you know, two of the most important straits in the world are uh, the Straits of Hormuz and the, and the Bab al-Mandab and, and, and along the Suez uh, because of all the amount of international trade uh, that goes through that. Um, uh, and as a reflection of the importance of these areas, China, which, intervene, which does not intervene militarily anywhere um, uh, outside its immediate uh, uh, surroundings, the, except, the one exception it made uh, is for the uh, international coalition against piracy in uh, in the Indian Ocean when there was problems with the Somali pirates. Which it directly influences trade. Which exactly because because uh, you know that that's the exception that proves the rule, which is that the the military intervention because security threatened trade, which is so central, and that trade is actually critical to uh, to China. So they're like, okay, we're gonna, we're not going to intervene anywhere, but we're going to make an exception when something is, is disrupting commerce. Um, and, and that's, as you say, that's the basis uh, ultimately of its interest in the Gulf, in addition to its desire to diversify and secure its energy sources. 
That was Omar Al-Ubaidli, a regular columnist for The National, telling us why the Chinese approach to this region in terms of trade and economics and within the Belt and Road Initiative has been so successful. And I'm fascinated by this whole idea of a new Silk Road, which many of us are judging by the conversations that that I've had. And even uh, currently going on in New York at the UN General Assembly on the sidelines, there's a lot of discussion about how everyone can harness this momentum from the Belt and Road Initiative. Because we've been experiencing a period of economic sluggishness. Emerging markets aren't producing the kind of returns and and the expansion that we had been seeing in recent years. So clubbing together and getting together to to sort of create the links across Asia's landmass and beyond could really be an answer for some of the problems we've had. And certainly as uh, globalization doesn't seem to be quite uh, in vogue as it once was. It's this new multilateral approach of the Chinese. It's this idea that, you know, from their huge strong base, they can then spread out and encourage their neighbors and beyond to also improve their infrastructure and their trade links and perhaps overall everything can benefit. Ultimately, we have been looking for a new paradigm. We we think about everything that's happened over the last couple of years in terms of uh, the failure of globalization or the perceived failure of globalization, political risks, uh, so-called populism, uh, the rise of those kind of leaders trading off the back of almost a decade after the financial crisis. We still haven't seemed to, to really got on our feet yet. And perhaps this offers another approach, another way forward in a very Chinese manner, which is, you know, they're not going to interfere too much. Uh, Let's all try and find that win-win point of view. Certainly, I'll be curious to see what happens over the next few years. It's been a very fast pace of acceleration since 2013, when the Belt and Road Initiative was first announced. And from the signs we can see here, there's definitely been an impact, whether it's wholly as much as everyone expects it to have been or not, we still need to give it a bit of time. But certainly fascinating stuff and many, many bright minds in the region and outside are focusing on this. And I think over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll continue to see a lot more discussion and information coming through on the Belt and Road Initiative. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, and this has been the Business Extra podcast. You can read, listen, and watch our full coverage on the national.ae. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe to this and our other shows on iTunes. Our producer has been Kevin Jeffers. Join us again next week.